Welcome to the SLP Talk Show. Real talk with Carrie about stuff that really matters. Hey, it's Carrie, your fast-talking, speech-therapy-loving host. While you are driving, cleaning, exercising, or whatever it is you do while listening to podcasts, I'm going to be chatting about pediatric speech therapy stuff. But I don't want our time together to feel like work or be boring. You already work enough, and you already have enough boring stuff to do in your life. So let's get going and have some fun. And welcome to episode 43 of the SLP Talk Show. I am Carrie. I am here with Jim. Hello, hello. I am a speech-language pathologist, and Jim is an honorary speech-language pathologist. Yes, thank you. Yes. Thank you so much. Yes, yes. My voice is a little rough today. Uh-oh. Yeah, we uh, went to a football game on Saturday, yeah. and yeah. we yelled a little Wouldn't bit. Wouldn't have been good if I had done this yesterday. No, probably couldn't have done it. I would have sounded like <laughs> Arthur from Peaky Blinders. Peaky Blinders, yes. Yes. So Jim and I are uh, here to do another episode. Um, something in case you're a new listener, you need to know about us is we have an autistic son. His name is Aaron. And we like to come on here and share our journey both professionally and personally with anyone who uh, will take the time to listen, right? Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. But before we get down to business, we of course have to do a quick game of chump or champ. Okay. Are you feeling lucky, Jim? Mm, yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay, I yeah, think you're going to do this. I think this is good. So lucky, uh, better than be lucky than good. Yeah, here we go. Very good, very good. So I will ask you four trivia questions, and you will hopefully give me four correct answers. Okay. In which case, you will be a champ. A champ. Yep. Absolutely. Question number one: Easy peasy. Are you ready? What I'm is the la- miss this one? <laughs> no. What is the last name of Sylvester Stallone's character in Rocky? Balboa. Excellent. Ding 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 ding. What city is the historic center of the U.S. auto industry and the home of the headquarters of General Motors and Ford? Detroit. Detroit. That's where I'm headed soon. Are you? Flying to Detroit. Just just booked my flight right before we started recording. So All right. Cool. Going in October. Yep, Go yep, buy yep. a car, I guess. Huh? Well, I do need to buy a car, but I probably won't buy it while I'm in Detroit. <laughs> but yeah. All right. Question number three. So far, two out of two. Question number three. What is the capital of Portugal? Um... Lisbon? Yeah, excellent. He had to dig deep. You should have seen him searching in the yeah. in the in the vault. Right? <laughs> yeah. Right? All right, My let's see if you can palace. do it. I actually know one hundred percent you are gonna get this one right. Like I would bet the house, the car, and all our children. Oh no. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> Such pressure. <laughs> Who directed the nineteen ninety four film Pulp Fiction? Oh, it's uh, Tarantino. Yeah, absolutely. You are an official champ. Wow. Yay. I feel so good. Congratulations. Right this, is, this is a great way to start the day. Great way to start, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. After we're done recording today, I'm going to hit the road. I'm headed to Iowa, do mm-hmm. a two-day presentation. God's country. God's country. Headed back home. That's where you were. <laughs> and I were born and raised, right? Yeah. All right. So we are. Most people don't share that opinion. Well, you know what? It is okay. Especially maybe... if they're from Minnesota. They probably think, no. No. Not really. Not at all. Well, and maybe we've mentioned this because I don't know actually how much we talk about Iowa on uh, this podcast, but uh, it's our fun little fact that there are more pigs in Iowa than people. Oh, yeah. By a lot. Mm-hmm. By a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yep. Yep, 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 yep. Probably more fun to be around, too. They might be more fun to be around. Yeah, who knows? (laughs) You never know. All right, are you ready? Yes. Let's get down to business. I'm I'm ready. Okay, the fun is over. You're brilliant. We've established that. Yeah, 
this, we're in the no fun zone. We're in the no fun zone now. No, actually, this is going to be a lot of fun. I mean, this is going to be a heavy topic. We're okay. gonna we're gonna talk um, about neurodiversity affirming, and I just I use that term a lot, and I thought it might be good if we just break it down a little bit. And what do we exactly mean by neurodiversity affirming? Okay, you good with that? I'm good. Okay, so whether we talk about neurodiversity affirming services, neurodiversity affirming therapy neurodiversity affirming provider or maybe you know we need to start talking about becoming or being a neurodiversity affirming parent oh yeah okay so the question we're going to ask and then answer today is what does neurodiversity affirming actually mean mm-hmm. okay whether you're a parent of an autistic child or a provider who supports autistic children uh, an educator who teaches uh, autistic uh, children this information is for you guys. I got to tell you something real quick that I did pretty neat yesterday. I got to present online, do a webinar for a group of nurse practitioners. Yeah. And it was pretty neat. I talked about what medical professionals need to know about neurodiversity affirming services. Right. And it was, yeah. it was really neat. So I feel like we're spreading the word. You yeah, know? absolutely. That's to, awesome. To a variety of different people. So when we talk about neurodiversity, the first thing we have to do is break down the word, etymology of words. I'm sure I've mentioned this before, but I'm going to mention it again. One of the greatest courses I took when I was at the University of Iowa as an undergrad, it was a course called Medical Terminology. And I only went to class twice, once for the midterm and once for the final. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it was a self-study course, right? Okay. And all we learned was uh, what prefixes and suffixes mean, because mm-hmm. that way it helps you be able to break down words and understand sure okay so it's called the etymology of words so when we take neurodiversity we're going to break down the word neuro means brain right diversity means differences okay okay so all we're doing is acknowledging that while human beings look different Mm -hmm. and as human beings we kind of like that concrete stuff i can look at you and know that we have different colored hair different colored eyes you know different colored skin uh Mm -hmm. we have different heights different weights like that's all good neurodiversity encourages us to recognize that we are also all wired a little bit differently right that all of our brains uh, function a little bit differently and so what we're doing is acknowledging the brain differences and specifically what we're talking about today is in autistic children So what do we mean when we say neurodiversity affirming, okay? And I often shorten it to neuroaffirming just because neurodiversity affirming, it's a mouthful. So you good with that if I just shorten it to neuroaffirming? Okay. You good with that? Yeah, I'm I'm following. Okay, very good. So neuroaffirming services recognize that brain differences do not necessarily equal brain deficits. Okay. Okay. As a a speech-language pathologist, as a therapist, I was trained under the medical model of disability, and I was trained that um, there were deficits and that we needed to come in and do therapy. We needed to provide treatment, uh, and we needed to fix those deficits. Okay. Okay. But neurodiversity movement has come in and said, hey, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Um, You know, autistic kids don't have deficits. They have differences in how they are wired and how they develop and how they learn and how they play. I like that. that. I like okay. that. The Yeah. Yes, so that it's, it's not negative. It's not right. We're very much, very much trying to move away from that uh, negative uh, language because what it does is it contributes to the stigma associated with autism. Right. You remember when our son was diagnosed yep. back in 2007? Tragedy. It yeah. was a tragedy. Mm-hmm. Everybody, oh, well, you must be devastated, right? And so yeah. that was the, the overall um, kind of gist of what people thought when we would tell them. All right, the second thing, a neurodiversity affirming therapy approach is in contrast to the medical model of autism treatment. So what we do as neurodiversity affirming therapists and providers is we focus on stretching strengths rather than fixing deficits. So we always look at what is the child 
what are they good at and what are their what are their interests okay right so i'll give you this example little boy that i'm supporting um six years old and he's minimally speaking he says a few words and phrases occasionally but for the most part you know uh he, he doesn't speak a lot he communicates in other ways uh they are working very hard in school uh to get him to learn like his letter names and the sounds that go with the letters and they're trying to teach him phonemic awareness and he's just he's not interested it, it, he's, he shows zero interest in these kind of worksheets um you know that they're trying to do via this um you know boxed curriculum if you will uh-huh. but the child i am telling telling you he is his deep interest is the planets and the solar system okay and so this kid has so much knowledge and what we figured out was when we gave him a marker and on the smart board he started drawing and we realized he was drawing we thought he was just drawing circles he was drawing the planets and so he had them all like you know and and like they were distance it was just amazing watching this um and so uh i started writing uh the names of the planets next to them Mm mm-hmm Mind you, I had to Google it because I don't sure. know the order of the planets, right? <laughs> um, and uh, it was so unbelievable because he started showing more interest in the written word, okay. started showing interest in letters because we tied it to his deep interest, right? Wow. To his strength and his knowledge. I mean, I- I'm, I'm serious. This kid will probably be working for NASA someday. His knowledge related to outer space and the planets is phenomenal. And he wants to be read to. Everybody always said he doesn't like to be read to, doesn't like to be read to. If you read him a book about planets, guess who's all in oh wow yeah we got puzzles i found one of those big floor puzzles of the planet guess who's all of a sudden working on fine motor skills and doing a puzzle never done a puzzle before right i mean it's just so beautiful so to take a strength yes take their strength and 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 build off of that that's right that's 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 what we're talking about right right. that's what we mean by strengths based instead of fixing deficits and saying he can't do this he doesn't Mm -hmm. know this um he's missing this skill instead we go well what is he good at what what does he know what is what are his interests right what are his so but you're branching off of that you're you're Uh you're adding these other things around around that strength absolutely absolutely and i think that's so cool you know, I think back to with our son, Aaron. Aaron uh, was spelling long before he had spoken words. You know, sure, he was spelling yeah. big words like observatory astronaut. and astronaut. I mean, we yeah. have pictures. I've done several me- social media like posts two. about it. He was like two years old. And we actually used written language to help him learn to talk. Because when we would write words, he was more interested than he would almost look to us like, say that word. I want to know right. what that is. Yep. And so typically, um, uh, you know, neurotypical kids, they talk and then they read. Mm-hmm. But with, with autistic kids, right. sometimes they read. Yeah, because he was hardly speaking at that point. Yeah, no, he was very minimally speaking at that point. All right, our third point. Neurodiversity uh, uh, affirming services focus on regulation, Mm -hmm. connection, communication, and self-advocacy instead of on compliance. Uh, yeah. So these are the, the the big four. That's what I like to call them. So regulation, right? You have to focus on their nervous system, their sensory needs, right? They have to be regulated because you can't be in a ready state for learning unless you are regulated, okay? Mm-hmm, so right. we're going to start with regulation. Once the child is regulated, then we focus on building an authentic connection with the child, mm-hmm. okay? And once you have regulation and connection, then and only then can you really um, start uh, uh, teaching new skills, right? So you have right. to focus on regulation, connection, community. Communication is always our goal. I don't care who you are. If you're a parent, a therapist, a teacher, it doesn't matter. Communication is a basic human right. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. And I think when you're talking about dysregulation, it's like anybody can be dysregulated. Mm-hmm. It's Absolutely. like when you when you watch a watch sports and you see an athlete just kind of lose it. Lose it. Mm-hmm. 
they're dysregulated and they're going to do things that, that are out of character for and them. And that's right. And that's what we call, you know, Dr. Dan Siegel taught us the term when you flip your lid, mm-hmm. right? And when you flip your lid, you're no longer in control of your actions. You're no longer in control of your behaviors because right. you're thinking with your downstairs brain now. Right. Once you're thinking with your downstairs brain, yeah. your, it's your reptilian brain, yeah, you're, you're, you no longer have control, right. right? And so that's why you have to be regulated, right? You have to be in a ready state. Uh, the social media post I did last night whilst we were watching football uh, was all about, um, uh, you know, the two great regulators uh, are movement and nature. Mm-hmm. So we've got to incorporate, uh, you know, more um, movement, play-based movement. Um, you know, uh, really, I, I love to explain what fidgeting is. People think that fidgeting means a child isn't listening. Fidgeting is the brain's way of communicating to the body. Excuse me, body. If you'd like me, the brain, to continue to focus, then I'm going to need a little bit of movement here. Okay. Right? None of us um, do well when we're forced to sit still for long periods of time. Right. We all need movement to kind of regulate. And so when you, you know, see- I, I, I'm thinking back to my childhood now, and, <laughs> and all the times that my teacher said, "Jim, sit still." Uh huh. And it was maybe. Yeah. Just yeah. me trying to focus. It was you trying to regulate, right? To keep yourself yeah. focused. Some kids, you know, they have to rock in their chair. Some mm-hmm. kids get up on their haunches in their chair and they'll be like, feet on the floor. Well, some kids can't focus when they're forced to sit still, you know, keep their hands still, feet on the floor. Some, right. most human beings need a little bit of movement to stay regulated. So how do you feel about gum in the classroom then? Well, I think that for a lot of kids... Because that's um, a little bit of movement. Well, yeah, absolutely. And actually, uh, you know, the fastest way to regulate a nervous system is through the mouth. And that's why if I'm sitting... Like, okay, when I get in the car and have to drive five hours today, I have to have either... I'm either chewing gum, I am sucking on a mint... Or mm-hmm. I have to munch on chips. I okay. have to do something because I can't move because I'm driving a car. I dysregulate very rapidly. And so I get antsy. I get a little uh, frustrated that I'm having to sit still. You know me. I'm not mm-hmm. a sitter anyways. Right. Right. And so uh, we know. That's why you give babies pacifiers because we regulate through our mouth. And so, oh, wow. yeah, giving kids gum is actually, uh, you know, a really helpful. Having water bottles even in the classroom now. It's a wonderful. You and I, we would have benefited from having a water bottle with a straw on it, you know, and sure. being able to take a drink and so we all I mean you and I both have something to drink as we're sitting here recording this podcast it's very common to uh, need something in your mouth whether it's a drink something to chew on you know candy um, uh, crunchy foods are often regulating you know so yeah cool I'm I'm sorry I threw you a curveball no I I like curveballs okay are you kidding I love (laughs) curveballs all right Uh, number four neurodiversity affirming providers and parents presume competence see We have two choices. We either presume competence or we presume incompetence. So regardless of what a standardized test says Mm -hmm. about a child's cognitive skills and about a child's understanding of language, we go into it presuming competence. So I love to give this example of a little boy I was supporting in a classroom and he was dumping all the, 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 I think there were Legos on the, on the, out of the bucket, you know, onto the floor, onto the table. And the teacher said, I just hate putting crayons or, or Legos or anything out because all he does is dump them. And I looked at her and I said, have you told him not to? And she kind of looked at me like, what a strange thing to say. And she goes, well, no, I just assume he knows the rules. And I say, well, you need to tell him the rules. You know what I mean? Right. You, well, but he doesn't. That. But I don't know that he understands. Well, then you're not presuming competence. Well, the point is, okay. talk yeah. to them and use as many visuals as it takes. But you need to presume competence. Right. Don't assume they don't understand. Don't assume they can't do it. Don't assume they don't want to participate. Don't assume anything, right? right? So it's all about walking in and presuming 
competence, regardless okay. of what standardized tests say, because I'm going to, I'm on a soapbox now, Jimmy, um, <laughs> uh, standardized tests are biased because they are all normed on neurotypical kids. So there's no way an autistic kid is going to look good on any standardized test that you administer because they're all biased. Yeah. Okay. So, um, the only thing standardized tests are good for is to determine eligibility into a program because they're going to get a low enough score to be determined eligible. But, Oh, don't it? We that's all we could do okay. a whole topic on standardized yeah, can, tests. Yeah. Okay, we'll move on. Number five, <laughs> neurodiversity affirming providers and parents honor all forms of play, all forms of communication, and all learning styles. Okay, there so is, if the play doesn't look the same, right? There's no it's we don't okay. have to judge play because play is by definition the spontaneous activity of children. Right. The spontaneous activity, right? right? So lining up toys, um, you know, people uh, uh, seem bothered by that. And I'm like, I don't know why we need to be bothered by it. Um, a lot of times uh, autistic children are drawn to uh, the um, visual aspects of of objects so they like to line things up they like to look at things peripherally out of you know they get a different sensory input when they use their peripheral vision we could tell story after story of how our son played as a little kid can i tell you a story about me yeah tell me about up. how you lined up yeah. things let's hear well this. okay so i've always been fascinated with football yep always and so my my grandma was uh, an electrician and she she would bring home like ball bearings and stuff like that every now mm-hmm. and then and so I would line up ball bearings and formations and, and in football formations. Yes. In football formations. My, my mom was like, I don't know what he's doing with that, but (laughs) But you were entertained. And and I told her, but she was like, Oh, okay. I get it now. But then, you know, to other people, it probably looked a little odd. Right. 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 Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, there, there's no wrong way to play. And so what we want to do is honor uh, the play of autistic children. I say this all the time. Autistic play is authentic play, mm-hmm. right? My only thing is I would prefer kids not put toys in their mouth because, you sure. know, uh, sanitary, all that. And, and unless it's meant to be thrown, it's better if you don't throw toys. But other than that, you know what I mean? There's like there's there's lots of different ways to play with toys. There's not a right way to play. And as far as honoring all forms of communication, I mean, this is a real issue here. Uh, I'm going to give you an example. And if I've shared it before, I apologize, but this is a a one that really stands out to me. Uh, I was in a classroom, a five-year-old non-speaking autistic boy uh, reached up at a cupboard that was on the, on the wall in the classroom. Mm -hmm. And the teacher in the classroom goes, Oh, do you want the bubbles? And so he, he like starts clapping, you know, and smiling right. and kind of rocking back and forth. So clearly the, the answer is yes. Everybody in the room knows he right. has just communicated. That is a communicative intent. Mm-hmm. It was understood. The message was received. All, everything is good, right? She then gets out um, a picture exchange. It's called PEX, but gets out this book and says, now tell me. And puts these pictures in front of him and wants him to pull off the picture of the bubbles and hand it to her. Well, of course, he gets very upset and he throws the book across the room, falls on the floor, bangs his head as hard as he can on the wall. And the teacher looks at me and goes, see, this is the behavior we're dealing with all day long. But he already told you what he wanted. See, that's the problem. They're not honoring all forms of communication. She goes, well, I have a functional behavior plan that says he has to use the PECS book to communicate. And this is where Mm. we have some unlearning to do, right, of ways that we've been taught. Uh, So we're not honoring all forms so of communication is it more just being flexible in your thinking or yeah. you know yeah i mean yeah. just practicing not, mental flexibility right not being a like totally a checklist right person, right you know, and not like and not focusing on not emphasizing i guess is the right word 
power and control because okay. I feel like that's so much of what adults very, are doing. It was a rigid, you know, uh, yeah. rule that that she was not going to let go. Exactly because right? she was told this is how we have to do it, and they're keeping right. data on it because you know it's a goal or whatever. So this is where we have to write better goals. Anytime we write a communication goal, it should be when given unrestricted access to multimodal communication, student or child will, you know, right. and whatever you want them to, you ever whatever it is you want but, to measure, but you should be honoring all forms of communication. I mean, it just seems a little bit reductionist to me to mm-hmm. say you have to do you have to communicate in one way well and what if i told for, you for Jim, anybody let's for think, anybody let's talk about you and i what what are all the different ways you and i communicate you know right. do we use spoken words sure we do do we use gestures sure. do i roll my eyes at you sometimes um, uh-huh. yeah well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot do i sometimes just turn away and walk away from you and you're like uh, i guess the answer is no right <laughs> um you know do when you text me do i sometimes just reply with an emoji do i use you know or do you ever just reply with a thumbs up Um, You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, we can use email. We can use the written word. Sometimes I just leave a note on the counter. Uh, We use gestures. We use spoken words. I mean, there are so many ways that we all communicate. And what if I said to you, Jim, the only way that I'm going to allow you to communicate with me is to use X, Y, or Z. That doesn't make any sense. So what we have to be very careful of, I like your, your idea of that word reductionist. We have to be very careful that we're not placing expectations on an autistic child that we don't place on each other. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Oh my goodness. Okay, let's move on. Oh my goodness. Okay, neurodiversity affirming providers and parents recognize and build on the autistic child's deep interests. We kind of talked about that already, right? Mm-hmm. It's about yep. not just their strengths, but also their interests. Mm-hmm. Neurodiversity affirming uh, services provide modifications and accommodations to improve participation in activities of daily living, but also and primarily to improve the child's quality of life. Mm-hmm. So I always say, you know, what's the purpose of therapy? It's not to teach them X, Y, or Z skill. It's to improve their quality of life, right? Okay. uh, A neurodiversity affirming therapy or educational approach does not base their goals on neurotypical norms or milestones. Okay. What we're going to do is meet the child where they're at and we're going to build from there. We're going to recognize that autistic children meet their milestones differently. They develop differently from neurotypical kids. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so autistic children tend to have spiky developmental profiles, which means they might excel in one area. For example, the child who knows all the planets, you know, can spell the planets, but he does not yet use utensils when feeding himself. You see what I mean? So one would expect a five-year-old to be using eating utensils, but the fact that he's not, you don't need to like um, pathologize that. We just need to say he has a spiky developmental profile and he's going to have, you know, uh, above average skills in some areas Mm -hmm. and there are going to be other areas that take him longer to acquire. I feel like it's, it's more like, uh, you know, the distance between two points, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, with, with, with autistic children, maybe it's more of a journey. You know, it's just you're you're. It's not going to be a straight line. See, excellent. And, yes. And so, yes. I I. But they get there. They get there. Look at Aaron. I mean, when Aaron was, I would say, seven, eight, nine years old, you and I used to worry he'll never be. What if he can never dress himself? Because right. Aaron has motor planning struggles throughout his whole body. He really struggled, like especially putting socks on. Mm-hmm. You know, like he just yeah. couldn't get them on. He couldn't figure out how to do it. But um, you know, putting clothes on so that they're not backwards. He he needed so much help. He's eighteen today. The kid dress. I mean, I yeah. mean, it's unbelievable. So what is my favorite saying? Forward is forward. 
no matter the speed. Yeah. We have to stop worrying about the speed, okay? Autistic kids get there when they get there. And our job is to provide accommodations and modifications to support them on their journey, not to fix yeah. their deficits. Embrace the journey. Embrace the journey. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Uh, neurodiversity affirming services focus on teaching meaningful skills in meaningful ways instead of teaching isolated skills out of context so that we can check them off a you mentioned earlier, like a checklist, like, right, oh, right. They, here's these skills. They need these seven skills, um, you know, uh, by the time they're this age. So we just need to teach them out of context. The problem when you teach isolated skills out of context is there's no generalization. Right. So what's the point? They yeah. can do it in one setting. Right. It doesn't generalize. All right. Neurodiversity affirming providers and parents focus on relationship based learning. OK, uh, there's a huge emphasis or there should be a huge emphasis on establishing an authentic connection with the child. Mm -hmm. Right. That once you have that connection. I always say this, once interacting with you becomes a preferred activity for the autistic child, joint engagement improves organically. You don't have to coerce it. Yeah. I don't have to withhold desired items from you to get you to engage with me. I don't have to give you rewards. I don't have to pop Skittles in your mouth. I don't have to do any of that. When you know, when you trust me, because can we agree uh, every relationship, word. you were waiting for it, weren't you? Every mm -hmm. relationship is founded what? Trust. Trust. There's nothing that matters more. Okay, um, so if, if an autistic child doesn't trust you, there's no way you're going to have an authentic connection. If with any them. child doesn't trust you. That's right. It doesn't matter if you're neurodivergent or right. neurotypical. Exactly. The, exactly. That's the essence of teaching is Absolutely. to make that connection and gain that trust. That's right. Otherwise, they're not going to listen to you. That's right. So my favorite little formula for supporting autistic kids is regulate, reach, teach. Right. Regulate their nervous system. Yep. Make sure their sensory and emotional Absolutely, needs are met. 100%. So first comes regulation, then connection. Build that authentic, trusting connection. Mm -hmm. And then once that's established, teach away. You yep. know what I mean? You yep. teach them anything you want. Neurodiversity affirming providers and parents understand that autism is not a behavior disorder. Boom. Boom, right? <laughs> or as Aaron would say... Booms RMA. Booms RMA. Yes. Which is his favorite exclamation from, right. what from, is it from? I don't know, the Genie Show. The Genie Show. I, I don't Shimmer know. and Shine. Shimmer, Shimmer and Shine. There it is. So just so you know, Booms RMA is like our favorite saying. It's yeah, our favorite exclamation it in our family now because Aaron has been using that for quite some time. <laughs> we, um, we embrace that. We embrace his passion for Shimmer and Shine. Yeah, and which can is I just probably say, something that, you know, typical uh, four-year-olds Yeah, four, watch, five, five, six-year-olds. Year but again, we don't judge. There no. is no judgment here. Aaron loves Shimmer I just love that he loves it. He you know? loves it. He's passionate about it. And I got to tell you, Shimmer and Shine taught him to eat pigs in a blanket. Oh. Okay. Um, <laughs> he came into the kitchen one day and goes, I would like to eat pigs in a blanket. And I'm like, excuse me. <laughs> and he said, Shimmer and Shine ate pigs in a blanket. Can we have that for dinner? Man, I ran to the store faster than you've ever <laughs> seen anybody go. Um, so I, I, I joke all the time. If only Shimmer and Shine would eat like broccoli and cauliflower. Yeah, and, yeah. We need, to, we need to call the producers and get them to... Oh, my word. Okay, so autism is not a behavior disorder, so guess what? We don't have to use behaviorist strategies to coerce compliance. Okay? Wow. So it, sitting here right here on my recording desk is Aaron's favorite toy of all times. Yep. They're these little colorful... Yep. Little bears. Little sorting bears, yeah. right? They come in the four primary colors. He has a whole tub of them. And from the time he was about two years old, he has carried these bears around. And mm -hmm. he, he just always likes them. And the very first thing they tried to do when he went into a classroom setting was um, hold his comfort item hostage, right? Take right. it from him, hold it hostage, yep. and then make him earn it back. Well, guess what? Now my kid doesn't trust you because now you've taken away his comfort item, the thing that is keeping him regulated, and now you are trying to coerce compliance. Yep. And guess what? 
the kid cried for six weeks straight because he didn't feel safe. And when right. you don't feel safe, guess what? You go into fight, flight, freeze, fawn mode. Okay? Well, and that's what happened when he went for testing. They immediately took away everything. Everything, everything he had. Yep. And he was like, fine, he I'm just going to hide table. under the table. He hit under the table. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Uh, neurodiversity affirming providers and parents recognize that challenging behaviors are caused by dysregulation. So what we try to do is we seek to understand the behavior, not blindly try to extinguish it. Okay. Once the why behind the behavior is understood, uh, providers and parents, what we focus on is changing the environment instead of trying to change the autistic child. Right. So well, and, and I think like what we just described where you take away, you create the behavior behavior because yeah. you have dysregulated. Right. And then you blame the child. Inadvertently, you may have not intended that. Right. Right. You know, but that's what happened. That's right. So this is a wonderful quote um, by Alexander Denheyer. I remember I, I, okay. I Googled it yesterday how to pronounce it. Now I can den here. Den, den, here. den here. Den here. Anyways, this is a great quote. When a flower doesn't um, bloom, you fix the environment in which it grows, not the flower. Mm, okay. And that just, that, and so yeah. if I change that to children, when a child doesn't thrive, you fix the environment in which they learn, not the child. Right. We're not in the yep. business of fixing children because children aren't broken. Autistic right. children are not broken. They don't need therapy to fix their deficits, right? right? We seek to understand them, not change their them. differences. Absolutely. Uh, so just to kind of summarize and wrap up, neurodiversity affirming does not mean we provide no services or supports. There are people out there who think, oh, if you're neurodiversity affirming, you're saying just love autistic kids the way they are and don't try to do anything. Yes, I'm asking you to love them the way they are. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Because they're 100%. wonderfully and beautifully created, right? So uh, there's nothing wrong with Aaron. Aaron is not a mistake. Aaron is not an optional member of society. Aaron is not broken. What we do is we provide services and supports that accept the child for who they are without trying to change them. And we simultaneously um, focus on changing the environment or changing the activity by providing accommodations and modifications. What do those look like? Sensory supports, executive function supports, unrestricted access to multimodal communication, right? Mm. Those are examples of what yeah. we use, what we do in therapy, what our purpose is. It's not to fix deficits, okay? It's, it's to change, change the, the environment. environment. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I always kind of like to explain my son is a square peg and the goal is not to make him fit into a round hole. Because think of the damage you do to the peg if you try to make a square peg fit into the round hole. It's not that you can't do it. Right. You could make a square peg fit, but think of the damage you do along the way. Yeah. So one of the things I mentioned to the medical professionals that I was doing a webinar for yesterday is, uh, you know, medical professionals um, vow to do no harm. Hmm. So when you're neurodiversity affirming, it's part you of must oath, be, right? it is, you must be trauma informed, which means none of our services should cause any harm. Mm. I'm going to tell you a story that you're going to think I made up. Okay. Um, it is in, in, there's a lawsuit right now and I'm not even going to tell you what state it's in, but I visited here recently and um, one of the providers has been asked to uh, be a consultant by the attorney. Okay. So this is how, so anyway, she said um, the compliance based therapy, um, their company is being sued because uh they taught the child to actually use masking tape and cover his mouth with masking tape when he has uh, when he screams. So he started oh screaming in the classroom and he ran and got the tape and taped his mouth shut. He taped his own mouth His own shut. mouth. They taught him to do that because he's trying to mask who he is. So when he gets dysregulated and screams, he's been trained 
to tape his mouth shut. Wow. Okay, so I, I just, uh, we can't do anything that does any harm to children. We have to be trauma-informed. You cannot call yourself neurodiversity affirming and do anything that harms children, right? So um, it's just really important that we understand the goal is not to make my son, you know, who's a square peg, fit into a round hole. The goal is to make the round hole accommodate a square peg. Do you see there the difference? You, you change the environment, you don't change the child okay and here's the big thing we want that square peg to feel like he or she belongs in a world filled with round pegs yep. okay you can't Absolutely. make my son a round peg no. okay so we talk a lot about diversity equity and inclusion and i would argue um that we also need to add a b to the end of that that it's diversity equity inclusion and belonging because you can include autistic kids in you know the gen ed classroom you know okay. for example right. but that doesn't mean they feel like they belong Okay. There's a big yeah, there's difference. Yeah, there's a difference. Right. There is and, a difference. And so we have a lot to, to work on in our society in not just accepting people who are different, but helping them feel like they truly belong. Yeah. Right? So my son, Aaron, our son, Aaron, is autistic. He has a disability, but he is not disordered. There's nothing wrong with him. He doesn't need to be fixed. Temple Grandin's famous words, he is different, not less. Less, yep. Different, not less. Right? Whew. That was some deep yeah. conversation, Jim. It was. It was. So uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap up. I know you guys are busy. You have things to do. So thanks for listening to another episode of SLP Talk Show. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell your friends, your neighbors, your colleagues to give us a listen. Get out there in the real world. Be kind. Be accepting. Put your screens down for a bit. Go outside. It is a beautiful, beautiful world out there. And please don't forget to schedule your mammogram. Early detection could save your life. As an 11-year breast cancer survivor, it certainly saved mine. Until we meet again. Cheers.